Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. We all can't help but wonder what adventure lies just over the next ridge. A Nissan Rogue, Nissan Pathfinder, or Nissan Armada will take you there. If you're taking on your adventure in a new 2024 Nissan Rogue, class-exclusive Google built-in is your always-updating assistant to call on for almost anything. Google Assistant, Google Maps, and Google Play Store are built right into the 12.3-inch HD touchscreen infotainment system of the 2024 Nissan Rogue. Nissan's SUV has the capabilities to take you where you want to go. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. No surprise here, but you know I gotta have my devices when I travel. I would be lost without my smartphone. I use it for directions, to find things to do, and most importantly, where to eat. I rely on it as a digital music player to enhance my experience as I explore a new place. Oh, and sometimes I even use it to make calls and stuff. That's the kind of traveler I am. And if you travel, you know what kind you are, too. That's why you go with the Delta SkyMiles Platinum American Express card. If you travel, you know. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to Tech Stuff. My name is Chris Paulette, and I am an editor here at HowStuffWorks.com. Sitting next to me, unlike usual, but we'll get into more of that later, is senior writer Jonathan Strickland. The sky is blue and all the leaves are green. My heart's as full as a baked potato. <laughs> all right, then. Uh, yeah, today is a very special episode of Tech Stuff. Uh, so special that uh, the only word to describe it is spadoinkle. Uh So... <laughs> The reason that this is special is, one, for the first time ever, we are recording outside the confines of our comfy studio, uh, so we're kind of uh, excited and frightened. Uh, the second is that we are at DragonCon, which is a huge fantasy, science fiction, horror genre fan convention. And third and fourth, we have two special guests with us today. We have Tom Merritt and Veronica Belmont. Say hi. Hi. Hello. You follow direction well. Uh, <laughs> Veronica said hello. I just want to point that out. You said specifically hi. to say hi. Right. Okay. I'm sorry. Uh, Tom follows direction exceptionally well. Uh, I improvise. We have, we have Tom and Veronica who collectively are sword and laser. Uh, I have never asked which is which, but um, I know that. Laser. Sword. Seriously? Because mm-hmm. yes. Veronica right. does the laser sound effect. Pew. 
pew. There we go. <laughs> I was hoping I could get it on here. I wasn't going to specifically ask. I thought if I was oblique enough, I could get it. Um, the uh, So you're here doing Sword and Laser as well as uh, some of your other projects. Why don't you both introduce yourselves and kind of give an overview of all the amazing stuff you guys do. Me first? Yes, oh, sure. alphabetical order. Oh, okay. Um, I'm Veronica, and I currently co-host Texilla on Revision 3 and also Core on the PlayStation Network. And uh, in our free time, we are fortunate enough to have Sword and Laser, which is the reason we've come to Dragon Con for the past two years to do the live show here and to interview authors, and it's always been a blast. Yeah, uh, my name is Tom Merritt, and I, of course I do Sword and Laser with Veronica, which is a science fiction fantasy book club. Uh, and I also do Tech News Today daily on the Twit Network uh, at 2.30 Pacific, 5.30 Eastern. I do Current Geek Weekly with Scott Johnson. I do Forecast with Scott Johnson. I do East Meets West with we Roger go. Chang. <laughs> that's, that's well, you got like six now. more, right? Frame Rate with Brian Broach. Should I go on? Keep going. Uh, yeah. yeah, keep going. Frame it's Rate okay. with Brian Brushwood. The Snorb Cartoons with Scott Johnson. I'm think that's it. So he thinks. <laughs> all right. Wow. And uh, so, yeah, we, we asked Tom and Veronica on the show uh, because we were all going to be in the same place at the same time, which is unusual, but also because they cover technology. Oh, and, top uh, five on Revision 3. <laughs> <laughs> and Tom will just continuously interrupt me for the rest of the show, adding in the things that he's forgotten that he does. Um no, we we asked them here because they're both technology journalists, and we wanted to kind of talk about what it's like covering technology from a journalism standpoint. Uh, Chris and I did a video show for a while where we covered news, technology news, and um, and so we really got kind of a crash course in what it's like to cover tech, and that was really a small. Uh, a tiny show compared to what you guys do. So uh, just kind of want to get your thoughts on what it's like covering technology. Uh, and, and if you've had experience covering other kinds of topics, what makes it sort of unique in that in, in a, from a journalism standpoint? Well, it changes so fast. I mean, there's new stuff all the time, and it can be very difficult to stay on top of everything that's happening and changing. And technology covers so many different areas as well, whether it's gadgets or computers or internet culture and, uh, you know, new media stuff. It's, it, it's always changing, and there's always something that we have to learn and pay attention to. Yeah, and the uh, the technology crowd is the smartest crowd. Oh, yeah. uh, of media consumers, uh, technology and science. You know, folks, they know what they're talking about in their field, mm-hmm. and you, as a reporter, often have to know everything about every field. Uh, so you're going to get corrected a lot, a lot, uh, because you can't know everything about every topic. But hopefully, you can know enough to to be able to pass along just the good information, kind of sift good from bad, uh, and and. One thing that Veronica and I both got really good on when we did Buzz Out Loud at CNET back in the day is using the audience to your advantage. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know, John, that's actually how I got to know you, was mm-hmm. relying on you to kind of contribute some facts and stuff that you knew from your research on how stuff works that helped us to pass along emails and voicemails to people to kind of further explain stuff that maybe we weren't able to fully explain in our coverage of it. I actually really miss doing a daily show like Tom does now and like we used to do at Buzz Out Loud. Oh, you because- can start doing that. <laughs> 
<laughs> it keeps you really sharp. Mm-hmm. Like when you're reading stuff every day and you have to be able to follow stories throughout the week, you um, you definitely absorb it a lot better than uh, with me and Patrick on Texilla. Um, we do a lot of computer help problems and gadget questions, and we do news at the top of the show, but it's not our main focus. So I found myself, you know, getting out of the loop a little bit on a lot of the big stuff that's going on, and I think I need to start listening to tech news today regularly, more regular, more regularly, more like five days a week instead of the four I already do. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah, Veronica, you just you need to listen harder. I know. <laughs> you need yeah. to do a better getting, job. Stop at getting listening. mad and, and, and pressing stop five minutes like, in. Oh, Tom. <laughs> yeah, and then emailing and then listening another five minutes. I'm such thinking, a troll oh. like that. I know. <laughs> um, actually, that that bringing the whole audience factor into it. That's one of the things I found very interesting getting into technology blogging and, and, uh, and technology podcasting as well as doing the video show. Um, you know, as a writer, occasionally we would get uh, readers writing in to, to comment on, on the articles we were writing. But that, that interaction ramped up significantly once we went to blogging and podcasting. And so uh, it is interesting. Why don't you talk a little bit about what it's like uh, uh, interacting with your audience and how, I mean, to me that seems like it's a really unique thing that podcasters in general and tech podcasters specifically get to do that uh, other journalists don't necessarily, they don't experience that. Well, I think Tom already covered it really well in saying that the audience is way smarter than we are. And so they're always giving such great feedback and such additional information to whatever we're talking about, they're indispensable in that way. And correcting us and, and updating us on stuff that's going on that we may have missed, it's, it's incredible. Well, and, and one of the things you, you have to do, and, and maybe tech podcasters and, and bloggers are better at it because they're just into technology and they mm-hmm. like to, to play around with stuff, but anybody in any topic can do that, which is open up the channels, read some emails on your podcast or respond to some on your blog or, uh, you know, play some voicemails or open up a, a voicemail line or just ask for people to record MP3s and send them as attachments. Once you start including the audience in whatever you're doing, more audience members will catch on to that and say, oh, I, I want to contribute too. And you'll, you'll get people who don't. In fact, the vast majority don't. But you'll start to develop a crowd that you can rely on, and you could separate the trolls from the from the people who actually contribute. And then now you have a stable of not only experts that you can you can use to make your content better, but also folks who are going to spread the word about your show and say like, "Hey, I really like this because I'm invested in it." That's a great point. Um, is there anything about technology in general that that you're particularly passionate about? I mean, because as you were pointing out, Veronica, uh, technology is a huge, huge topic, and there are a lot of subtopics. Uh, in general, for instance, from my own perspective, uh, the stuff I'm really interested in is is uh, despite the fact that I work for How Stuff Works and I love writing How Stuff Works articles on how tech works. My real interest is kind of on the social impact of technology, but uh, I'm just curious if there's something similar or something specific that you're really passionate about as far as uh, technology is concerned. I like memristers. Uh, memristers <laughs> for Mr. Merritt. It's 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 a constant battle both with Mollywood at Buzz Out Loud and now with Becky as to f- try to stop me from including these stories that might bore everyone else. <laughs> we, we've had requests to do that topic on our show and we have not done that yet. So. It's kind of daunting. Um, at quantum computing, anytime uh-huh, there's a quantum yeah. story, I get <laughs> I get sucked in. Uh, all kinds of astronomy stuff, anything with planets, uh, planet finding. Uh, I like that. Uh, I, I mean, I am I, I'm passionate. About 
about all technology and how it works and, and how people use it and what they use it for. Uh, on the less technological side, but more the, the use of it, the social use side, anything about copyright techno- copyright law mm-hmm. and what you can do in this medium just fascinates me because it all seemed very clear until the Internet came along and made it really easy to copy everything uh, infinitely. And now we're dealing with a whole new set of rules about how anything, how this, how this stuff works, right? <laughs> I mean, there's, there's just a, uh, it's a whole different universe. So you have this battle of people who are like, no, physical CDs can't be copied and given away, you know, because that undermines our business. They didn't actually make that mm-hmm. that distinction as much when you had to actually f- physically copy a CD by going and buying a really expensive burner or paying someone to do it because people wouldn't really do it. So if you gave it away, you kind of turn a blind eye. Now that it's infinitely copyable, everyone's paying attention and it's unstoppable. Mm-hmm. So it, it's almost you know the horses and the cows and uh, all the chickens and everything have left the barn. In fact, the barn burned down and now there's no barn to go back to. <laughs> Mr. Barrett, I would like to point out that as a Southern boy who grew up on a farm, you do not keep the chickens. In the barn. But that's exactly right, John. What were the chickens doing in the barn? I think if we can answer in the first place. Can someone answer the chicken in the barn? Copyright industry needs to address that. I'm sure we'll have a listener write in and explain to us exactly what those chickens were doing in the barn. I'm still grappling with which came first, the chicken or the egg. They figured that out, you guys. You work at you should know that. Well, that's science stuff. It was the chicken. Somebody else's podcast. Anything that involves stuff podcast. We have the habit of foisting anything that has to do with biology or physics over to science. You have to go to the Foul Stuff podcast. Yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, well, my, my answer is a little less fancy. Um, I'm really into video games. Sweet. <laughs> so anything video game related, I'm instantly drawn to. But also on the more esoteric side of that whole culture, which is video games as art, video games and how they affect society. That's something that I'm really drawn to, how, how, how our society is really changing because of video games and how it's not just the realm of the geeky and Anymore. I mean, everyone plays now from, mm-hmm. you know, small kids to grandparents and, you know, middle-aged housewives, you know, are playing World of Warcraft and it's totally normal. All right. Desert Island, computer or game system, one game, what is it? Well, could it be my gaming PC? It has to be one game. One Veronica. game. Um, oh, wow. It would be World of Warcraft. <laughs> I'm guessing Mr. Merritt would have the same answer. Civilization. Oh, oh, oh yes. Oh. So you're Is that because you would miss Civilization so much on a Desert a Island that you would feel approach. the need to build up some kind of I'm not going to be able to afford the uh, 15 bucks a month. <laughs> That's true. Island. There's That's no work. True. Infinite <laughs> supply of coconuts to sell to support your there gaming you habit. Okay. And Very <laughs> expensive okay, coconuts. Then maybe well. And where does the connection come from exactly? Look, <laughs> that's text. Oh, shoot. Um, all right. Well, just a silly question since I, I knew that Veronica was also into video games. We actually did uh, two episodes not that long ago. In fact, they, they published the week coming into Dragon Con. Uh, this will publish significantly after Dragon Con. Uh, but uh, we did two episodes about the uh, rise and fall of the arcade, mm, the video mm-hmm. game arcade, and, of course, the video game crash of 1983. Uh, because I was one of those fortunate young men to own an Atari 2600 and a copy of E.T. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that was that. Um, anyway. Uh, so that happened. Yeah, so that happened. The next question I had was, uh, 
I don't know if, uh, if Veronica, if you've ever had to do this. I know that Tom's had to do it and I've done it as well. Chris has as well. Oh, really? Um, this, this, <laughs> I don't know where this is going, but it's, okay. Yeah, exactly. It, it's a, it's a, the, the is infamous. This a uniquely male thing? No, because, uh, no. Okay. It's the, it's the, yes. <laughs> I've not experienced Well, that, there's no. the first bleep for the podcast. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I think we can leave that in. Yeah, that probably okay. The, um, no, the, the, the question is technology predictions. Oh. Yeah. We talked about how technology moves very quickly. Um, a lot of us have done technology prediction shows usually at the end of the year to predict what's going to mm-hmm. come out the next year. Uh, Veronica, I don't, have you, have you ever done those? I have. Yeah. Okay. We used to do them on, on BOL all the time every year for New Year's. So my, and I've also done forecasts with Tom also, which is his prediction right, podcast. Right. Right. <laughs> so with Scott Johnson. The question is, are there any predictions you made that you feel were essentially spot on? And oh. were there any you made that were about as big a miss as you possibly could get? Jeez. Um, oh, looking back, that's going to be hard to remember. Tom, do you remember anything I got right? <laughs> <laughs> I know there was one. I feel like no. there was a good one. <laughs> Jeez, I don't remember any. It's hard to remember the predictions, much less which ones. Because if you're because if you're right, then you just feel vindicated for a while, and then you kind of forget. And if you're wrong, then you instantly forget it because you don't want to be like. That's why a lot of people hate doing prediction shows. Yeah, because you're on record saying something like is going to be one way or the other. Especially if you do a follow up episode at the end of the following year. Yeah, Yeah. we always do. Yeah, Yeah. so that you can kind of tally up how you did. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'll give you an example of the biggest one I've gotten wrong this year, which was that uh, Apple will come out with a tablet, but it's, it's not going to go anywhere. Oh, it's not yeah, going to be As my editor next to me holds <laughs> up his iPad. I got really close on the tablet. I said it was going to be eight ninety nine, which was the top out price. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I said it was going to come in the summer and it came in the spring. But uh, I got close. I also said uh, goodbye, Palm. Yes, yeah, so did I. Said I. Palm Ooh, was going to get one. bought or fold and they got bought. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then two years ago, I said Android will outsell the iPhone. So it was just a couple years early. <laughs> <laughs> I, every year I say something that like RFI idea is going to become like the default, like de facto way to pay for things and turn on your lights in your house, like with the RFID chip implanted in your arm. That never happens. Just not in the United States. I'm just not ready. Yeah, I go to Japan a lot for work and I'm so frustrated by how they've got everything down. Mm-hmm. How you just have one card for everything. You pay for everything with this one card. You can get on the subway with it. You can buy a bag of chips with it. And they're starting to get that a little bit here, but or with your cell phone even. But people are scared of it for some reason and they're really terrified of losing their information and having their information being floating around even though it's so close like you have to be pretty close in order for the RFID to work mm-hmm. they, it's, they, it, there's that fear that people have about this kind of technology that's really preventing a lot of it from improving our lives in a big way. And I feel like people have to kind of get over that hurdle of fear in order for their lives to really improve. And we've seen that with a lot of technology over the years. And then, you know, people, once they get over that hump, they forget about it. They don't worry about it anymore. Mm-hmm. It's just that initial, like, oh, I don't know about that. I don't think I want that in my house. I'll let some strange waiter take my credit card, but right. I don't want an RFID I'll buy crap on in the internet, pocket. like, yeah. constantly well, and not have know. to, you know, think about it, but... Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just, it's really the, it's really the fact that they don't know how how much their information is already out there just right. using traditional me- payment methods and other ways of communicating. Um, uh, yeah, it's, I, I've noticed the same sort of thing. We did do a, an episode about that uh, once several, I think probably more than a year ago now, mm-hmm. uh, where we talked about the same sort of thing. And uh, yeah, years passed and we haven't seen a huge 
leap forward uh, since then. So clearly my impact as podcaster just well, has I've been waiting to get chipped for a really long time. <laughs> I'm totally willing. I got a guy no, I, can, I, I, can, I can have taught to you over in England. Yeah, uh, really. I've been talking about it for University of Southampton. Our vet does it. Okay. <laughs> I, don't I don't know if they would be able to help well, you. Well, it's good not, in case but... I get lost. I get yeah, lost exactly. very easily. Does anyone know to whom this podcaster belongs? <laughs> <laughs> oh, by the way, I, I didn't mention the one that I got the wrongest yeah. of all of my uh, predictions, which was the Apple will never come out with a phone. <laughs> well, they would never do that. The most wrong ever. That's awesome. Yeah. I like it that I'm not the only one who's wrong. <laughs> um, and, and here's, this is kind of wrapping up the tech journalism thing and it's it's kind of similar in a way to the last question um can you think of any story in tech anything that you've covered that you that just really surprised you i mean some stuff that, you know a lot of the stories that we cover tend to be uh, uh confirmation of something that we had heard about sometimes a year ahead of time so it ends up just being oh well we finally got confirmation on this thing we heard about a year ago but can you think of anything that just sort of came out of nowhere and really surprised you positive or negative the first thing that comes to mind is the bird dropping the bread in the large hadron collider that's a big <laughs> one that really surprised me yeah yeah um, <laughs> Uh, the sling box was, was one that kind of took me by surprise. It's very rare at the Consumer Electronics Show, which happens in Vegas every year in January, that you see something you didn't already know was coming. Every year, it's just kind of an iteration previously. So last year, the big thing was 3D TVs, but it wasn't the first time we'd seen them. And it right. certainly wasn't the first time we'd seen TVs. And we've been kind of expecting 3D. But when Slingbox came out, which was 2005 CES, it was something that nobody expected. It was this little company over in the innovation platform, they were overwhelmed with folks going, wow, this is amazing. It, mm-hmm. it broadcasts your your television over the internet. Is that legal? How do, you, how do you get away with this? And it's just this little box, which is kind of ugly, but amazing because there's no moving parts and it's fairly cheap. It's not and, ugly. Um, it was then, actually. Yeah, uh, the, that first model, if you remember, was really gray and boxy. You know, mm-hmm. they've, they've improved it since. But no, the boxy's a different set-top box. That came later. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> but yeah, no, that was the, that's one of the ones that I can think of that was certainly nothing anyone was prepared to expect, mm-hmm. uh, and 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 was popular and still is. Yeah, I, I like I like seeing the things that get the big buzz at CES that tend to, and they tend to fall outside the major categories of electronics because. I mean, that, if you see something that's in a major category, you're just, oh, this is another version of such and such. So I remember things like the LG watch phone that, yeah, right. you know, oh, that never was, really. Oh, that was impressive, wasn't it? Yeah. If that we all they wanted... wouldn't let people take off the demonstrator's arm. Right. Yeah. Right. There's something yeah. going on there. Uh, for me, it was, uh, wireless charging, like with Power mm-hmm. Mat. Mm-hmm. It's such a promising vertical, but yet it just doesn't seem to, 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 to go anywhere. Yeah. I think what they need to do is just shoot some video of uh, my desk and get a shot of all the different wires that I have and then say, this is why you need this. Mm-hmm. The Qi, uh, QI is how they spell it, charging system was just announced at uh, IFA in Berlin mm-hmm. and they've got Energizer on board. And I feel like oh, that, that, that could might be, the, be the something that helps stone, yeah. launch it more into the mainstream. Cool. You know, it's funny because um, speaking as a former Dish Network employee, I have to point that out since they acquired Sling. It's, you know, Sling is one of those things that I just kept expecting to explode. And it's that and TiVo, the Mm -hmm. TiVo brand itself. And it just surprises me. It's like people understand what they are, but they 
they don't know the names. They well, they don't even know TiVo really. I don't agree with that. I think TiVo has become kind of the the standard. I think people everyone knows what a TiVo is and how it works. I think everyone who doesn't have it knows that you know people who have one don't have to watch the commercials and they can record things when they want to. I think that's become pretty. That brand has definitely spread to the masses. Um, I mean, maybe I'm biased because I do work in technology, so everyone I know knows what it is. But my parents know what it is, or they at least know how a DVR works, and they've heard of a TiVo. Um, because now that Comcast has their own DVR box, you know, people get those automatically now, and they kind of figure it out, and they know that TiVo is in that in that realm. Um, but Slingbox is definitely kind of surprising to me. I think well, a lot of what's prevented it. Wouldn't it be like the the sports situations, how they've been getting blackouts? No, they, of, they've they've never actually been stopped. They've never been stopped. Stuff. Okay. Some people threatened and saber rattled. I, I think the thing with Sling is uh, they were getting acquired by Dish mm-hmm. uh, slowed them down for a while because they they had any time a company gets acquired, it's going to go through a lot of bureaucracy and integration, and people leave and take knowledge with them and all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Dish wants to integrate it into their machines, not integrate it into other machines. So you're not seeing it being put in uh, to a lot of different devices. So yeah, you don't you don't see Sling as a household verb the way you hear T- I'm going to TiVo that whether you're using a TiVo DVR or not. I, I don't know if you ever will. Uh, I, I don't know if, if, if that can bust out of it uh, because it may be possible that by the time it would get to that TiVo level of growth, we'll just be able to stream everything off the internet anyway. Mm-hmm. Well, I think um, one of the things too is that, uh, you know, for Sling, it, you know, they are ingrained now in the, the Dish DVRs, but um, the TiVo brand as a DVR is in the minority comparatively. It's in fewer homes than everybody else. So it seems like everyone else has taken the concept mm-hmm. and has taken off, yet TiVo is struggling year after year to, to do that. Although you're right, it is the, you know, the name brand to consider the, yeah. uh, the Xerox. When you, when you get verb. Machines. Yeah. 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 That's usually a good thing. I should point out that I actually do hear sling used as a verb, but not in that context. <laughs> but my wife uses it quite a few times. Like, I'm going to sling this dog at you. <laughs> um, that actually is said way Hot more often bite. than I prefer to. No, no, Jack Russell Terrier. Um, so we're going to kind of transition now over to the, the whole uh, technology uh, sci-fi fantasy genre fan Venn diagram, which is almost a circle. Um so you guys are here uh, in part to to talk about, to do a, an episode of Sword and Laser. So you're both uh, big fans of, of the science fiction and fantasy genres. Um, I'm going to ask a really silly question. Why do you think there is that big crossover between people who are really enthusiastic about technology and people who are really big fans of science fiction and fantasy? Now, granted, it's not like a, a one-to-one thing, but it does seem to be the, the general rule. I think science fiction definitely makes sense. I mean, just because it's it's future thought. Mm-hmm. It's thinking about science. science, what's possible in the future. Like, where is our world going? How is the technology we use today going to evolve, you know, 500, 1,000, 2,000 years from now? Where Where is our world going to be? And I think that draws a lot of people in and, and gets them excited about the tech that's out today, too, because they're like, oh, that's almost just like the thing I read in that book 10 years ago. It's so cool. It's really happening. Fantasy, I don't know. Yeah. 
I don't know why we like that. Yeah, I still don't know why they group them together in some bookstores. I, a lot of them have finally stopped that, where you've got the fantasy section and the science fiction section. But I remember growing up, they were always grouped together. I think because they were so small. There, I mean, yeah. there was a time when they were very, very niche, and that's definitely changing over the years. It's becoming a lot more acceptable. I mean, you see things like Firefly and Battlestar mm-hmm. Galactica and, and big sci-fi or fantasy shows really exploding on TV. I'm particularly excited about the Game of Thrones, the Song of Fire and Ice mm-hmm. series coming to HBO, and hopefully that will take off in the same way that a lot of the other HBO shows have taken off in the past, And I, I, but I'm not sure why, why they do get lumped together. It is kind of an interesting question. Uh, having been a bookstore employee, I think I have a little insight into the classification because it's imaginative fiction. Mm-hmm. You have your romance section, which is not based on reality, but it's usually based in some sort of similar to reality situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, horror, same way. Mysteries, same way. Uh, historical fiction, obviously, based on history. But science fiction and fantasy, and even things that get put in there that aren't either. Uh, like Philip K. Dick's The Man in the High Castle is not science fiction or fantasy. It's alternate mm-hmm. history. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're all imaginative fiction. It's like we're not in our world anymore. We're either in the future or we're in some alternate world or some totally different reality where, you know, dragons maybe, talk. Maybe and, it's an escapism thing. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um and people who like technology like to think creatively, like like to imagine. Mm-hmm. They, you know, people who are into that have that creative aspect to them. Uh, and I and I don't know why the escapism crosses over necessarily, uh, but maybe it's just it's part of that creativity as yeah, well. Maybe. Mm. Yeah, I kind of feel like. It's so arbitrary because people like Neil Stevenson, I see in the in the regular fiction, not in a genre fiction category, and I'm and I'm thinking, you know, reading through it, I'm thinking, are you kidding? There's plenty of science fiction in here. There's plenty of fantasy in here. Uh, just reading Anathem right now, and I'm thinking, you know, this is kind of strange that you would include this and not include some of the other things that I've seen, you know, in the fantasy and science fiction category. So it just, you know, I think it sort of depends on who's organizing it and how. Kurt Vonnegut should oh, yeah. go in sci-fi fantasy. Yeah. By all rights, but he's a real author. He's a he's a he's classic. <laughs> he's literature, and there's a little bit of prejudice there that sci-fi and fantasy, you know, is is frivolous. Right. Even though there's great works of literature in sci-fi and fantasy, mm-hmm. they have to sort of elevate it out of that. And like Thomas Pynchon, for instance. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I do find that I've seen that happen too. I remember taking a creative writing course, and my teacher, uh, my father is a science fiction author, but he also teaches at a college. And uh, so this teacher was a colleague of my father's. Um, I never took one of my father's classes. But uh, this the teacher, knowing my father who writes science fiction, came to me. And in this creative writing class, and now Jonathan, I want to make sure that when you have a writing assignment, you write a real story. <laughs> and uh, I won't repeat what I thought <laughs> in my head. I think you should. No, I can't. <laughs> I don't want to make... Tyler have to bleep something out later. Um, but it was, uh, yeah, I, I, I thought that's really unusual because you think of some of the great writers, especially some who were like, like Orwell. If you think of oh, 1984, yeah. Yeah, sure. I mean, now granted, you, and you can draw so many parallels to things that have actually happened to stuff that was in that book. Mm-hmm. And, or, you, you know, Brave New World. Bra- I was just going to say, mm-hmm. Brave New World, or, yeah. yeah. Or, or Fahrenheit 451. Mm-hmm. I'm naming all the dystopian novels. Clockwork Orange. <laughs> <laughs> Handmaid's Tale. Um, 
But yeah, these are all yeah. these are all books that I, you can't, you could never argue are not literature. I mean, they're they they've definitely shaped thought and opinion, and they've moved people in ways that uh, that any book that is specifically uh, designated literature has done before. So, Well, yeah, especially when you're reading something like, I, I just finished Oryx and Crake, for example, Market Atwood, and it's it's great because you it actually makes you think, like, where is our society going? Like, what are we doing wrong? What's What are the potential disasters that could occur, you know, based on our use of technology and our use of, um, you know, medicine and, and changing the world in, in very, you know, specific ways? Mm-hmm. And it makes you think. It makes you wonder, like, like how we could, p- p- you know, potentially affect things going forward. There's a little bit of an overlap, whether you're playing a video game, whether you're hacking some code, uh, whether you're troubleshooting your your computer. Of where is this going? Like you were saying, how do I how do I make it to the castle and save the princess? How do I how do I track down that that short that's making this happen? How do I get around this firewall? And when you're reading science fiction and fantasy, you're engaging that same part of your brain. Like how do I work around this thing that is different from reality? And you make the same argument for mystery novels as well, but it's more challenging and more it's like outside the box. Yeah, more outside of your normal experience in a science fiction or fantasy mm-hmm. novel. So maybe that's sort of why there's that overlap. I hate it when people ask me, like, why don't you read a real fiction book? <laughs> you know, well, can you just not read, like, a sci-fi or fantasy book for once? And oh, what, like-, like George Orwell? Oh, wait. Oh, like Vonnegut? Oh, wait. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, it definitely hits close to home for me, but that's probably because, you know, since my dad's still still writing science fiction, although now he's writing it under different pseudonyms, uh, which is interesting, Ooh, mysterious. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll just say that if you if you happen across a young adult novel for um, he wrote Twilight, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> I wanted. I wanted to. Congratulations! I wanted to well. explain the body glitter. Uh, okay, we're we're just gonna drop that. Um, no, Lightclubshow.com. <laughs> so so really quickly, can you name some of your your favorite authors or favorite novels uh, that that you think are something that you would go to again and again, or even if you would never read it again, something that you thought was particularly well written that you think every fan should should read at some point. Um, this is a little, maybe a little outside genre. I'm sure. not sure, but um, Watership Down uh, is probably oh yeah. one Absolutely. of the first books that really drew me into the world of, you know, it, it's fantasy in a way, mm-hmm. just because it, it you know, that really changed. That book really changed my life, and and probably also anything by Tad Williams. I read the uh, the Dragonbone Chair trilogy was the first real fantasy series I ever read, and it. I was hooked after that. I was like, wow, this is a big book and there's three of them and I can just read this for the entire summer. And it was fantastic. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the, the bedrock novels, uh, for, for me, and probably most people have read these if they're self-respecting geeks or nerds, but Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Yep. Uh, we all own one. I actually remember where I was when I bought it for the first time and, and reading it as, I was reading it as we were taking my sister up to college, uh, in the car. It was the book I had bought for the long car ride. Uh, and and I just read it over and over and over again after. That was a long car ride. <laughs> that long of a book, I read fast. Um, yeah, and then uh, uh, the uh, Lord of the Rings uh, trilogy, definitely. What were you laughing about? Oh, oh look at you! Yeah, I uh, I just revealed something. 
that I'm not going to explain to the fans. But if you throw you his shoulder core, into the John. fire, you can read it. It's <laughs> 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 um, a ring of truth. He's to that. got a picture yeah. of Gollum on his arm. It's amazing. <laughs> Actually, no, it's true story. True story. My my parents, uh, when they were cleaning out my room and long after I had left, um, had come across a drawing I made. Uh, at age four, because it said so on the drawing, of Gollum and the Ring. Oh, age four. That's so cute. Wow. Yeah. Um, you were doomed I, from the start. I was doomed <laughs> yeah. from the start. And then I keep reading Dune, the Dune series, uh-huh. again and again and again. So, so I don't know. I'll stop. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, some of my favorite authors, I'm, I'm still a big Tad Williams fan. Mm-hmm. I read pretty much everything he comes out with. I love Robin Hobb and her, like, the Farseer trilogy and the Assassin's Apprentice. Um Let's see. Who else? There's so many. I, I'm really into Patrick Rothfuss right now, and the, the Name of the Wind is one of my favorite new books that's come out from an author in a long time. It was his first full novel, and it's just incredible. And the second book is coming out next year. And there's just so many good authors out right now. Like, you know, it's it's hard to pick, and it's hard to read everything. And and I, I, I'm on Goodreads, and I just keep adding books to my to-read list, and it just kind of never ends. <laughs> I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that I love every man crazy, insane word of Philip K. Dick that he ever wrote down. <laughs> we can kind of see how Tom and I are, are, I'm definitely more on the sword side of things. Like wow. fantasy is definitely my, what's really closest to my heart. But that's what's great about doing this show with Veronica is I get exposed to these books that I would never have bothered to pick up before. Like George R. R. Martin, my oh, life yeah. would be oh, less gosh. rich if she had not made me read that. And I just tore through everything he wrote and wouldn't mind if he put out the next book. Yes, please soon. put out the next book, George. <laughs> Although he's not my... Please you put know. out the... You you are not our B. Boy, if I could tell you all the listener mail we get from George R. R. Martin. Um, can I ask a quick question? <laughs> yes. How is the audience different for Sword and Laser versus the tech journalism that you've done? Because I would imagine that mm-hmm. the audience would be completely different in the way they react to you and interact with you. Um, not not so much. We do actually have a lot of overlap between listeners, or viewers of Texella and people who watch Sword and Laser. But through Goodreads, we also get a lot of really hardcore sci-fi fantasy fans. And just coming to conventions like this where we meet people for the first time and tell them about the show and the book club, um, you know, they get brought in. They don't know our other work sometimes. Mm-hmm. And they're very, very passionate about the authors that they follow. And you can kind of feel that when they're talking about them in the forum. And you're like, wow, you guys know stuff about this that you're finding things in these books that we're reading that I would have never noticed. And it just makes the reading experience so much more rich to have that input from everyone. I think uh, what's interesting about Sword and Laser, too, is that there is a lot more talking to each other in the audience than there is in a lot of our other shows that are a lot of the other shows that I do where it's they, they, the audience will talk to each other, but they will also talk mostly to the show, not necessarily to me, but you know, to what's been said on the show. We're almost we're, peripheral. Yeah. At with this Sword point. and Laser, yeah. the podcast is just one voice amongst the huge discussion going on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Thanks. That's great. Um, well, we're, we're over time, so we're going to wrap this up. I want to thank both Tom and Veronica for joining us. That was wonderful, especially considering that you're both on West Coast time and we're recording this at <laughs> nine in the morning, so it feels like six a.m. and we have coffee. Thank you, you very coffee. much. Yes. Thank you for the coffee. Uh, so thank you for joining us. Why don't you, uh, close out by telling us where, where people can find you if they are not aware of the stuff you're doing already. Okay. Um, my blog is at veronicabelmont.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Veronica. 
Veronica. And um, Textilla on Revision 3, Textilla.com, Core on the PlayStation Network. And Sword and Laser is at swordandlaser.com. And uh, all my stuff is at tommerritt.com, two R's, two T's. Excellent. Well, thanks again, guys. And uh, thank you to all your listeners out there. And we will talk to you again really soon. If you're a Tech Stuff fan, be sure to check us out on Twitter. Tech Stuff HSW is our handle, and you can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash techstuffhsw. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. And be sure to check out the new Tech Stuff blog, now on the HowStuffWorks homepage. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. We all can't help but wonder what adventure lies just over the next ridge. A Nissan Rogue, Nissan Pathfinder, or Nissan Armada will take you there. If you're taking on your adventure in a new 2024 Nissan Rogue, class-exclusive Google built-in is your always-updating assistant to call on for almost anything. Google Assistant, Google Maps, and Google Play Store are built right into the 12.3-inch HD touchscreen infotainment system of the 2024 Nissan Rogue. Nissan's SUV has the capabilities to take you where you want to go. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. CNN Underscore's Guide to Sleep has tons of recommendations for products that can help you get the best night's sleep ever. All right, let's face it. Most of us have had trouble falling or staying asleep at some point. And there are a lot of products and hacks claiming to be the solution to our sleepless nights. That's why the CNN Underscored team spend hundreds of hours testing products to find the ones that can make a huge difference in the quality of your slumber. Visit Underscored.com now for our ultimate guide to getting better sleep. Welcome to the Scene to Scene podcast. I am your host, Valerie Complex. Today, I am chatting with Ji Young Yu. Ji Young stars as co-lead in the six-part limited series, Expats. I think I learn a little bit with every character that I play. I think usually I play a character and it causes enough introspection that I learn something about myself. I honestly can't gush enough about Freaky Tales. I'm so excited to share it with more people. If you like what you hear, be sure to review, like, and subscribe to the Scene to Scene podcast.